And today, um, right past door here, I got some good stuff to talk about today. And uh, yeah, let's go. Let me uh, just adjust this screen here for a second. It's not letting me do that well, is it? It's okay. Let me. All right. So how is everyone doing today? Um, I hope y'all are doing well. So let's get going. So the first thing I want to talk about today is something that I've been talking about in education for a while with other faculty and stuff and uh, talking, I've been thinking about this a lot. So this year I am going up for full professor. So as a professor, there are, well, there are a couple levels, but the main levels as a tenure track faculty member are assistant professor, associate professor and full professor. Now there are other levels like around that. Um, for example, there's like instructor, adjunct, emeritus and all kinds of stuff like that. But the main levels are assistant, associate, full. So I am an associate professor right now and this year I'm going up for full professor. Um, the differences between those three levels are, I don't even know, very ambiguous as far as like what they mean because it's different for every university. But in general, an assistant professor, their goal is to do a whole bunch of research, go to a whole bunch of presentations and do good in their teaching so that they get promoted to associate. At associate, your goal is to kind of, you can do whatever you want because you now have tenure and promotion. Um, but you have to maintain all of your stuff, do, do things well, but really show people like who you are. Um, and it really starts to get into more of a service position where you can take on leadership and stuff. And then full professor is when you take that really to the next level. So I'm up for full professor. But one of the interesting things we're talking about in higher ed right now, to get to my original point of this, <laughs> is that we are talking about... Um, research and how much it matters and what matters, like what pieces of research, what components actually matter. And uh, it's interesting. So let me just explain this. A way a research, way, way a professor's research is critiqued. And remember, research is the most important part of the application. The way a professor's research is critiqued is which journals did they get into, basically. So, like, was it a journal that's really hard to get into versus one that's easy to get into? That's And were you the first and only author, first author, only author? So that's what's important. Um, and that was great in, like, the 18, like, late 18, like, 1800s and early 1900s and 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s but that's changed and it's changed because the, the issue with a lot of this work, the internet has really significantly changed the field. So the internet has made it so that information is just out there available to everyone. Now what's happened is all these journals that professors publish their research to are closed journals, which means you only have access if like you're paying a subscription to the journal, which no one is paying subscription to journals except universities. And also there's like a million journals out there, so no one could afford it anyway. Um, so the issue is all this research that I publish, you can't read it. The public can't read any of my research. And now what also happens is that the internet has made it so the information is just available on the internet. So what's happening is I could get published in a journal and only get like a hundred views of my article 
or can do a YouTube video about my uh, journal article or write a blog post about my uh, journal article and get a million views. Now, which is, which is more important? Is it more important that I reached a million people on a blog post or is it more important that I reached a hundred people in a journal article? Obviously the one where you get a million views is more important. The issue in higher education is they don't, they look at that blog post as worthless, worthless. The only thing that matters is that journal article. So my whole spiel about what I'm talking about is that higher ed is way behind the times. We uh, have fallen into a really bad pit or trap and we need to figure out how to get out of it because it can't continue like this. There was a time and a place where journal articles were the be all and end all. And I get it. There, there was like when Einstein was writing his, you know, theory of relativity and stuff, that's all there was were journal articles. Really. There was articles too at that time, but now it's not like that. And if we in higher education want to expand our reach, we really need to cut the journal article thing out and say journal articles are important, but they're not even close to the be all end all. I'd rather see a professor have a really good blog with all their research on it that everyone can access and read for free. It's one of the reasons why when I wrote my book this summer and well, I wrote it over two years and published it. Yes, I put a version on Amazon that was paid for someone that wants the print version and it's only 10 bucks, but the free version's available on my website just for everyone to download. Cause I'd rather have more people read it and have access to it than care about someone paying for it. And that's how I feel about all my research and everything I do. It's one of the reasons I'm doing these videos like this, just so I can get out there. I'd rather be out. Like I could be wasting my time right now, writing a journal article that seriously, like maybe a few hundred people read or I have this YouTube channel where I've reached over almost 3 million people. How, I'm just so like flabbergasted that that's real, that that reach is so much more significant. I'd rather have influence than worry about these journal article things. So anyway, that's a rant about that. And it's something that we've been talking about in higher ed and people are recognizing, you know, when someone says to me now, well, this person's really well known in the field. And I say to myself, how many LinkedIn followers do they have or whatever? And if they don't have any, I'm like, well, who knows about them? Because I'm not reading these journal articles and I'm a professor. Who is reading these journal articles? The people that write them? Maybe the editors? I don't know. I know the practitioners aren't reading them because they don't have access to it. So it's just crazy. It's just bonkers. 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 <laughs> All right. Um, so I've been telling y'all, talking about the stock market a lot lately and, uh, it really tanked yesterday, big time. Um, I, I have been telling everyone about investing in Apple and how, you know, it did do a split last week or no, that was this Monday, actually it did split for cheese. It's been a long week. If I already think that's been <laughs> last week. Um, yeah. So the market has just been going up, 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 like craziness, crazy going up. And, uh, yesterday I lost like 6% of my, all my money. <laughs> But that's what happens. And one of the things I want to remind you, and I've told the story about the guy who invested in all the worst times of the market. It's not about work about the, the quick highs and quick lows. It's about long-term goals. The companies I've invested in, which I've mentioned here before, Apple, Microsoft, Walmart, Verizon, Google, Amazon. Yes, I'm all, mostly about all big tech because I understand tech and I understand where tech is going. 
I have faith that in five years from now, these companies are still going to be on top, still doing awesome stuff. So I don't worry about these drops, highs and lows, because I know long term, they're going to do okay. So my recommendation, if you are putting money in the market, only invest in the stocks I ever mentioned. If you're thinking like long term, like I don't need this money in the next year. If you need money in the next year, you put it in a high yield savings account. So you get like about 1% interest right now. Never put money in the market short term. Just pay attention. You know, I've been talking about stocks a lot. That's all I wanted to say about it. But just be aware that you know, I do talk about stocks. I do tell people to invest their money in stocks. And I am a big fan of big tech because I understand the field. But when I'm talking about it, I'm not talking about day trading or pulling money out even in the next two years. I'm talking about long-term good investments. So anyway, yeah, my main stocks, Apple, Google, Amazon, Walmart, Verizon. Yeah, I think that's it. Microsoft. Yeah, those are my big ones. Um, that's where the majority of my money is right now. Oh, and the S&P 500 always. Okay, let's see. So one interesting thing about this week is that so last week, I told y'all about my schedule. I like I think I even showed a picture of it where it was like, my schedule was craziness. I couldn't have 10 minutes to myself last week. And week before that it was like meetings 24 seven, so many meetings that I was going nuts. And not only that, I realized when I looked at my calendar that I had scheduled most of them, which is like the worst part about the whole thing. Yes, I had scheduled most of my meetings, just absolutely terrible. Like, why would I do that to myself? Um, but this week, I've not had hardly any meetings. and I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and it's funny because I have tons and tons of work to do. I, I seriously have a big like list of work, like piles of stuff. And I don't know what to do with myself. Cause I'm like, I'm like, whoa, it's like, I'm, I'm almost like in shock. Like I don't have meetings in my spoke. Is it okay to work right now? Cause like, am I sure I don't have a meeting to go to right now? Am I sure? So that's kind of funny. And just a random thing that's been going on this week. Uh, my week's been actually not bad. I've actually had gotten a lot done, but there's so many more things I've got to do. And even like non-work stuff. Like, so when we had that hurricane come through uh, a few weeks back, my roof got some damage to it. And I still, I, I called a roofer maybe like Monday or even last week and like they didn't get back to me. So I got to call another one. And that's just like a big to do that I don't want to do because it's going to cost me like a grand to get done. And my insurance, my deductible for wind and hail is like two grand. So they're totally not covering it, which sucks. And, uh, yeah, so I got to do that. So that's like a big thing. I, I really, really, really have to do this week. Um, so something more in line with professional stuff that I'm doing. So all of a sudden, a couple projects have like come to me in the last few weeks. So I'm working on a couple different extra uh, projects outside of work, which is awesome, but it also takes up time. So I'm working on a proposal right now. And uh, the cool thing about working on a proposal is you get, the, you get the look from the outside and write a recommendation and solve a problem for a company and tell them what the problem is and how much it's going to cost and see if they agree to it. It's really cool. So I'm submitting this proposal today, which is actually for a pretty big project. Um, I can't talk about the company or anything like that. I never would do that to a client or anything or really even talk about 
you know, anything detail wise, but so I'm developing, they want me to develop a whole entire course for them, which is a pretty big undertaking. And usually when I do like a consulting work on the side, it's usually like strategy stuff or management stuff, or maybe like someone wants like e-learning done, but this is like an entire course. So it's, I'm, I got to think like weeks of training and it's a significant undertaking. So my role in all of this is really to come up with the strategy and the solution and figure out the numbers, like how long is this going to take? How much is this going to cost? What external resources do I need? And then mostly I have other people do a lot of the actual work for it. I just more or less am in, involved in the process and monitor because I don't have time to do the work and I don't enjoy really doing development for other people anymore. Um, but I do a lot of these proposals and it's fun writing them. It's really interesting. It kind of like gives you this motivation of like, oh yeah, this is cool. Like I remember doing this all the time and I remember why I hated this. And I also remember why I liked it. And then here's the interesting thing about these proposals. So you write them and in the proposal, you have to say what you're going to do for the client. The problem with that is that you're telling the client how to solve their problem. So let's say the client says, you know what? I love your idea, but you're too expensive. I'm going to take your idea here and I'm going to give it to Joe Schmo over here, company, who's going to charge me half the price. Now, there's a bunch of problems with that. The problem with using Joe Schmo's company that's charging half the price is, yes, I told you how to solve the problem, but there's a significant difference in quality. It's like me saying like, you know what? I need a new, I need new flooring. I need all wood floors in my house and I'm just gonna have the cheapest carpenter come in and put all new floor. I know I want wood floors, so any carpenter can do it. No, because if you've ever had wood floors put in a house, you know they can mess up big time if you don't have a good person do it. Same thing with anything else. You know, you do get what you pay for. So they have to be careful about that. You know, and the other thing is if, and the reason I know their quality is going to be bad because if they're charging half what I'm charging, they're not going to, there's no way it could be good. Just it's, it's, they're way too inexperienced to charge a good amount. Um, they either don't know what they're doing or they don't have the experience to do it right. Not having the experience to do it right means if there are issues, they're not going to know how to solve those problems. Whereas I know right away, solve it like this, 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 this. So it does make a big difference. But anyway, I'm working on this proposal. So actually when I'm done with this uh, video, the next thing that I'm going to do today is I've got to read my proposal. I've got to talk to my business partner. We are going to just refine if there's anything to refine, because basically we finished it yesterday. We wanted to sleep on it to just go back in. I always like to get that next day look on things if I can, because I always have errors, like just wording errors, like grammar and stuff. Um, just get another set of eyes on it and we are going to submit it. So I'll let y'all know if I get that or not. Maybe I can talk a little bit more about it, but for now, I, I definitely don't, do not want to. All right. A few more things to talk about. We are... So we are, I, I know I've been talking about, like we've been talking about buying a house and we've found the house we like. It's a, there are a few issues though. It, a, it's a little above my price range and B, there are some issues with the house that would need to be fixed. The house is actually beautiful and really great. It's just, the issues are like there's a dead tree in the lawn. It doesn't ha have a washer and dryer, so I'd have to pay for one. Um, just some things like that. Not like uh, the structural issues or something like that. The house is amazing, great. And um, 
so we looked at it last week, I believe. I think last Friday, actually. Yeah, maybe last Friday. And uh, we're actually going to look at it again today, which is kind of cool. So that's like the first time we've actually looked at a house twice. And we're considering making an offer, but it's interesting. So like, I don't really want to talk numbers. Well, I could, but I'm not going to. Um, I'll just put it this way. So I feel like the house should sell for 10% less than they're asking for the simple reason that there are just some issues. I feel like they're, I feel like they're asking top dollar. They're asking the price they're asking is if they put another 10% into the house and did a bunch of stuff to it. Uh, they didn't do that. Like for example, there's no screened porch. There's no like nice patio fire pit in the backyard or anything like that. There's no swimming pool. Um, and there is a pool in the HOA and stuff, but there's no pool. Um, there's a dead tree. The appliances look outdated. Cabinets look a little outdated, just some stuff like that. So I feel like when there's those kind of issues, you know, they, there are other houses in that price range that have all the stuff done and they're beautiful. Also the kitchen's a little small. There's no Island in the kitchen. That kind of stuff makes a big difference when you're talking about price ranges of a house. So there are other houses in that price range that have all that stuff. So I feel like this house should be like a solid 10% less. So we may give them a what's considered an insulting offer on it and see what they have to say. I have a feeling we're not going to get it because I don't think they're going to accept that, but I don't know. We will see. I'll keep y'all posted and updated on what's been going on with that lately. And just two more things I want to talk about today. So and the other one does kind of still have to do with housing. And then the other one's about tech. Let me talk about the housing one first, since I just talked about housing. So I know I've talked about this issue before, but it just drives me nuts. So <laughs> I'm reading, I guess it was Reddit last night. And again, people are blasting landlords and renters and saying that housing, you know, landlords are the worst people in the world. I'm a landlord. I think that they people picture landlords as like these giant uh, investment firms that own tons and tons of houses, and that's who rents people out houses. And while those there is pro that is probably like I don't know I'm gonna I'm completely guessing that's probably like fifty to sixty percent of the rental market. Like the other fifty to sixty percent is literally people who either couldn't sell their house and have to rent it out, inherited a house and have to rent it out. Or people like me who own, a, who have a full-time job, family and stuff, but or, or worker or whatever, and they just own a house or two that they fix up and rent out to people. And here's the thing. So we're taught, we were, the issue was they were talking about like evicting people during coronavirus and saying like, if someone evicts someone, they're a terrible, terrible person. So here's, the, here's all the problems that come about when we're talking about this issue. And the problem is the people making any comment on this have no idea they completely do not understand the problem to begin with. So the, the problem they see is someone losing a home, but here's what it comes down to. So let's say I own a house, which I do. I own a rental house. What happens if my renter can't pays? What happens is the bank comes after me and I can't afford to pay that rent, that additional mortgage on top of my personal bills. Because it's not like I'm making money. You don't make a lot of money from a rental house. 
You hardly make anything. And in fact, guess what happens when like the air conditioner goes and it's a $4,000 bill, you're stuck with it. You probably don't, you really almost break even on a rental until it's paid off. So we're talking like a long-term risky investment over like 30 year period. So I am taking the risk there. Now, let's say the renter can't pay. Renter can't pay. I don't get my rent. What happens is I can't pay my mortgage. If I can't pay my mortgage, bank takes the house. So I'm the so what happens if my bank takes the house? The bank is going to auction the house off in a foreclosure and guess what? It's going to get bought up by one of the big companies. So by being angry at small landlords and not paying rent for small landlords, you're actually making the problem, magnifying the problem. The problem with what's happening right now is that the government has not stepped in and told banks, if a tenant can't pay, you cannot collect mortgage. That would solve the problem on those ends. But we still have another problem. The banks need that money too. Because when, like, let's say, you know, when you have like $100,000 in a bank, the bank doesn't just have that cash. Well, they actually do have that much, but they don't just have all the cash on hand. They're consistently, banks make money from buying and loaning, renting. They even make loans to the government and stuff. So if the banks aren't collecting money, then the banks will start to collapse as well, which is what happened in 2008, which completely destroyed our economy. So you cannot have, there's this huge system happening here where if so many people aren't paying rent, we're gonna have this huge issue. So how do you solve this problem? Well, the solution isn't just people don't pay rent and you can't evict them, that's not the solution. The solution is the government needs to be able to step in and either loan those people the money which is the, actually the easiest solution. Somehow have like, you know, they've increased unemployment and stuff. Figure out how to get those people the money to pay their rent. That's the easiest solution. Or be able to back up the banks and loan money to the banks who are going to lose that money while it's paused. That's it. That's what needs to happen. Otherwise, what's happening is people can't pay rent. They are going to get evicted. There's, the landlords don't have a choice. They have to get the money or they're going to lose. They're going to be the ones getting evicted next. The bank will come after them for everything they own. So it's like this terrible, you know, s s cycle of what's happening. And there are some simple solutions, but in a time like this, it's unfortunate that people are losing their homes and stuff, but I don't know alternative solutions. Alternative solutions aren't just don't pay rent. Alternative solutions aren't just, I don't know. Maybe there needs to be like places for free housing for people who would, so we don't have homeless. Well, that's a whole nother discussion. But yes, I, I think there should be like systems in, in place for things like that. And there really are not good ones. Um, and look, I'm not an expert on what's government welfare and Section 8 and all that stuff. I have no idea how any of that works. So you cannot, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe there are stuff, is there stuff out there already? I have no idea. All I know about is I know, I do know a lot about renting and the process and how that works in a system because I do it. Now I only have one rental home and so far throughout this pandemic, my renters have had no problem paying their rent. And you know what, if my renters were struggling, I would say to them like, what can you pay? And I would work out some kind of deal with them 
I would be very reasonable and try to work through this with them and help them out so they wouldn't have to leave. And I think a lot of landlords are like that and they would totally do that. You know, we have this picture of landlord. I don't know what people picture. Most landlords are like, they are the small guy on the totem pole themselves. Like we don't, <laughs> it's not like there's this like guy with $20 million sitting on the bank who owns like Mr. Moneybags who has all the houses. Now there are people like that, yes, but that's not all. It's it's not even a large, the most majority. So it's just craziness to think about. Um, just anyway, something that I've been, I know I've talked about this issue before, but I see it and it just drives me nuts that people can't see the system. I can't get how we can't just, how someone just misses all the pieces. I don't know. I just don't know. All right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about today, the final thing I wanted to talk about was um, tech. And by tech, like us being on it 24 seven since coronavirus. And now I'm like, my kids are literally on their tablets like 24 seven because it's either for school or like play. It's like ridiculous. So I was thinking about this, you know, what are the impacts that us being on tech a lot more are gonna have on our development, especially like of children and is it gonna affect us? And I started to think about my kids. And yes, my kids are on technology more often than they were before. But I have to remember that, first of all, them being on technology more than they were before is temporary. So like, you know, I've seen things on the news right now that like we might have a vaccine for coronavirus in like October or November. But like we are going to have a vaccine in the next like four months. So my kids not going to school is temporary. Like they will be back in school even if it's not this year, they will be back in school next year and they won't be on tablets all day long. So like, that's all temporary stuff. So I've got to remember that. And secondly, I've got to remember when I really start like looking at how much they, it does seem like they're on the tablets all day long, but they're not. They take breaks. They go eat lunch. We go for bike rides. We go to the pool. They're still being kids. They go outside and play. I have three boys. They wrestle with each other. They hate each other. They call each other names. They're doing stuff all day long that's not on screens. And I almost wonder, like, I don't think it's any different than when I was a kid. I, I grew up, I was born in 79. So I am 41 years old. I was born in 79. And people say, like, this generation's on screens all the time. They have too much access to technology. But, like, I think about it and I think, man, I had a Nintendo. And I was allowed, I, no, I had an, I had an, when I was three years old, my dad bought me an Atari 2600 and the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Why? I have no idea, but he did. Then I grew up with a father that had computers around all the time. I had Nintendos, Segas, all the Nintendos. I even had handhelds. I still have them. This is my original Game Boy, which I've shown a bunch of times, but I still have it. So like I had a mobile device. So like when me and my parents would travel in the car, like long distance trips, I was playing the whole time. I wasn't sitting there bored. I had a Walkman on probably and a Game Boy. So my generation, and my generation, I'm a little bit older than what's considered a millennial. My generation, the people who are in their 40s right now, upper 30s and lower 40s, had access to video games their whole entire lives. I think we turned out okay. 
And I think it's less about us being hooked up to technology all the time and more just about what all the other stuff we're doing. My advice for parents has always been one thing, moderation, simple moderation. All this stuff is fine. Being on tech all the time is fine. It's just do it in moderation. Yes, we're on it more because of coronavirus, but guess what? It's temporary. It is not permanent. Temporary, not permanent, temporary. So think about that. And then always just use, you know, I always use the word with parents. I use the word moderation. Moderation's key. How long should my kid be on? I don't know how long your kid should be on. How long is your kid on? Does it affect them? Are they doing their, I mean, and by affect them, I mean, like, is it affecting their schoolwork? Are they still like being kids and going out and running around and stuff like that? Then it's probably okay. You're probably doing a good job, parent. Um, if your kid's on there and refuses to go outside ever, or they won't come and eat because they're on, then maybe you need to limit them. I don't know. It's all about moderation though. Moderation is key. It's not like give them 30 minutes per day after doing something good. No, you do what works for you and your family. The key is moderation with all tech. And that goes for you too. That's for me, you, everybody. Moderation. You know what I do? I mean, this morning I woke up. First thing I did is go outside and jog. I ran. Now, I have to do that because it's like a bazillion degrees outside. But I go outside and I ran today. Then I got a shower. Then I came and I'm doing this. And now, so now I'm on tech and I'm going to start my work day and do all this stuff. But you know what I'm going to do during the work day? About like 11, 30, 12, I'm going to go downstairs, eat lunch. I'm going to go sit outside for 20 minutes and get some sunshine. Maybe go for a little walk around the pond in the backyard. I saw a big turtle out there today. Try to see that again and show my kids. Stuff like that. You do stuff like that and you can... You moderate, you take those breaks. It's great for you. I told my son yesterday, he was on the computer and I said, you know what? I said, Kai, I said, he was doing his beginning of the year tests and he was had a break in the test, like 15 to 20 minute break. And I said, you know what, Kai? I said, go sit outside for five or 10 minutes during this break. I said, because it helps clear your head. Just get out, get some fresh air. It really helps clear your head. Um, but things like that are so good. And maybe I'll talk a little bit more about this next week, like some strategies for taking breaks and stuff and things I like to do. Maybe it'll be the, one of the big things I talk about next week when I do my first one of these. So anyway, that's all I have to say. I hope that you enjoyed. And uh, yeah, anyway, I'll have a good weekend. Have a good rest of your day. Watch that stock market because I'm curious to see what happens. I'll tell you all what happens with my house adventure when I go look at it again this afternoon next week. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Watching some hurricanes out there right now, potential. There's like the ocean's like real active. So that's a little scary and freaky. So I'm watching that. But uh, yeah, that's about it. Not much planned this weekend. It is Labor Day weekend. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, so it's like a three-day weekend. So we've got like a little cookout plan. I think we're going to camp in the backyard maybe one night. I don't know. I'll let y'all know what we do this weekend uh, next week. So have a good weekend, y'all. Later.